0: Hey y'all, this is Vidiotic. My name is Sean. And my name is Joe. And this week, we are coming to you with a little segment of episodes that we like to call Underrated versus Guilty Pleasure. Basically, if you're a big movie fan, you've got films that you love and everyone else in the world seems to hate. And then you've got other ones that everyone hates and loves at the same time. (laughs) And so we're going to talk about some of those. This is going to be like a first installment of a series we're going to do later on, just every now and again when we need to fill up some topic space. We're going to say, okay, we're some underrated movies, because there's a lot out there. And I, I guess we're going to start, well, first of all, is there anything off the top that you had this week, any new movies you watched? I know Thor is out, I don't know if you've gotten to see that yet.
1: Is it out yet? I thought it wasn't out yet.
0: Is it? Is it not? I
1: thought it
0: was maybe, July 8th, right? Maybe it was just out for, like,
1: reviews. And those people I think got it's reviews it. right now. Yeah, I mean, I wish I got to see it. I, I do want to see it. That's definitely on my list. Mm-hmm. I do love Taika Waititi's take on, you know, the the hero and his take in Marvel. And as a director, I mean, I've I've grown to like his films because of Thor Ragnarok. I'll be honest, I'm one of that class of people that weren't familiar with him before, but now I'm definitely familiar with him.
0: Right. I initially discovered him from this series he did called Oh What What Is It? You know it. The vampire one. What what We Do do in in the Shadows. Yes. Which was just hilarious.
1: Yes. I actually managed to acquire the movie it's based (laughs) off of, which is a couple years ago film now. I remember when it would have released. Mm. And it's just this low-budget comedy of the exact same premise. This trio of vampires living, you know, with uh, for centuries and all that stuff. And it was written by Taika and Jermaine Clements, I believe his name is, who are both New Zealanders. And, yeah, just a fun, stupid romp. And from all reviews, that's also like a cult classic film, and it's got some lines I've seen that made me just laugh. So I was like, I I need to watch this.
0: Yeah, that's that's one of the weird ones where I think about it, and it's like, why haven't I watched that yet? Because I know about it, and I know I like everything I've seen. I just haven't, I just haven't watched it yet for whatever reason.
1: I do now have it, so yeah. Sometime we, you and me get together, we'll watch that.
0: I think that would be a really good
1: one to talk about here <laughs> because it's. Yeah, it's just its own special brand of comedy, I think. Any movies I've seen recently? Not not too many. I did finish The Kenobi Show.
0: Ah, uh, I did as well.
1: I did enjoy it. I thought it was really good, in all honesty. I didn't think it was a masterpiece or anything, but I thought, for all things considered, it was really well handled. And I was impressed at who I saw in it and characterizations. I actually really liked it.
0: Mm-hmm. I think my my overall... Excluding The Mandalorian, which I just think is perfection, (laughs) but my overall feeling about a lot of the Disney Plus shows, particularly Star Wars, has been like, it's like eating a delicious chocolate cake, but every 60 seconds you find a hair in it. It's like this wonderful thing that I love, and you're in the Star Wars universe again, and then something kind of stupid happens that kind of gets my pulls me out of the, the show a little bit. And it's like, oh, that was kind of stupid. But then we're back in and there's lightsabers and then something stupid happens. So,
1: I don't know. Interesting analogy. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Because especially, well, we'll talk about Kenobi another time.
1: Definitely. Like I said, I think we want to save like the Star Wars month specials. We could definitely talk about length on just a whole episode on that, or two even.
0: Yeah, I mean, with how much they're putting out Star Wars these days, we might have to up our game on that front. Well, anywho, I think... I think you did. You actually look up the technical definition of the guilty pleasure versus underrated? I don't know. Maybe they have something on uh, Urban Dictionary or something.
1: You know what? I was going to, and we mentioned it before in our planning for the recording here, but I, I think honestly, it kind of comes down to most people know what it stands for, yeah. even if it's still treated subjectively. But I would say, like, my opinion of a base definition is underrated is definitely like kind of self-explanatory right mm-hmm. it literally is just the word like it wasn't rated well at the time maybe it got like five or <clears> six <throat> out of ten or and you think it deserved like an eight you know just a, not a not a masterpiece again but you know seven or eight it shouldn't have been that low it should have been like one or two points higher or you know critics gave it something like i didn't like the development of this and you're like but that development i thought was pretty good you know for what was what i saw And sometimes they're actually some redemption because we'll talk. We're going to mention a few films that came out, you know, years ago. And we were kids when we saw them, even, or maybe we didn't see them at the time, but we saw them later and kind of thought, wow, why did this movie flop? You know, I don't know why it didn't do well. Or then sometimes you you know why it did that, but your initial thought is still like, why could they not overlook that? Because it's not really a huge major point or something. To me, it's like, it's that one's self explanatory. And then if I had to say guilty pleasure, it's kind of like, I want to say it's self-explanatory, but some people are kind of like, well, I don't know exactly what I would derive as that. And I'm like, to me, it rides the line of... Sometimes it incorporates films of the so-bad-it's-good category, Mm
0: -hmm. which I do
1: think in many ways is separate. Because, you know, something like The Room, most film people are going to be familiar with it, with how awful it is. It's just... It's poorly filmed. The lines are delivered so woodenly. Some shots are just awkward. All these things, all this like thing factor into it. But it, it was a movie
0: it. that was so bad that they made another movie about how bad that movie
1: was. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, most people are familiar with it to some degree because of just that, like how bad it is, without meaning to be bad. Is the I think that's part of a distinction: is a movie is not trying to be bad, but it turns out awful, and you're like, how did this pass cutting room floor? It kind of rides that line as in there's this distinction, but sometimes it bleeds into it because I can watch a film that still like was just bad. Little care was given into it. The director didn't, you know, did not give a crap about the product or something. Maybe he was being petty or he or she was being petty with the studio. Maybe the studio interfered too much and it canceled out what could have been good story dialogue, anything like that. To me, some guilty pleasures. And also before I forget, it's in the word guilty pleasure, you know, it's not good film like, objectively, but you still like it. You still enjoy it, even for its faults and defects. Sometimes it's through the veil of nostalgia. Sometimes it's your rose-colored glasses of when you were young, you know, I just love this film because of this reason, and you know, and I'm, like, looking as an adult, you can sometimes even go, hey, man, that's a little bit, you know, oof. But you can still be like, eh, you still have a smile on your face watching it.
0: Yeah, and this the nostalgia point is where a lot of guilty pleasures come from, because, like you said, you watched it when you were a kid, and you're not you know cynically just dissecting movies as a child you're a sane person and you just enjoy watching the movie and you do kind of get a certain vein of movies where and even this happened to star wars a little bit where the director or the uh studio or something is looking to make a movie and their idea of it is this is just for kids and so they make it with that thought in mind and then maybe we the fans are over here thinking they're going to make a more whatever. Maybe they're going to make it a, a bit more mature. Maybe the storyline is going to be a bit deeper, and then it kind of falls short of our expectations. And the fans and the directors and that are not quite on point. And you get you get some guilty pleasures out of that, I guess. But yeah, I think it, it's tough because some of them are just so bad that you just watch it to hate it, and then other ones are. You actually enjoy watching it. You just kind of have to acknowledge it wasn't the best made. And I think we can probably just, you know, skim one off the top right away. The Star Wars prequels. Obviously, we just spent a lot of time talking about those in the past episode, So we won't spend much time on it here. But would you put those in guilty pleasure or underrated?
1: That's yeah, a tough that, one. That's a tough because one. I, I think I could make arguments for both. I instantly would want to be like, Oh, guilty pleasure because I can say they're not good, but we talked about it at length and talking about it in all honesty was a big thing for me to kind of, it it was literally that episode that made me kind of realize and rethink about them and look at them and go, man, maybe they're not even as films. They're not awful. And they're not, I would say I rescinded my argument before where I said they were just bad. I'm like, no, they're not awful. They're not great, but they're good films. Like, you know, they are still many redeeming qualities about them, amongst other things. Where I would say, I I think, honestly, they're They're like like half half and half. half. I know that is the cop-out answer. I'm sorry, but I legitimately think they are like half and half.
0: I think I agree with you. Because, I mean, obviously we talked about it before, but there's a lot of deep story in there. And a lot of redeeming qualities that kind of get overshadowed by... Not only the faults in the movie themselves, which there are, but also the comparisons to the original movies that came before. So you're constantly comparing it to what came before and what you're expecting to come from it. So yeah, it definitely has flaws, but at the same time, I think it is a bit underrated as well.
1: I will say as a personal opinion, not just on that, but just in guilty pleasure versus underrated, I have a perfect example to me of what a guilty pleasure film is. Or, films are that I can give as an example. Many people listening, hopefully, are familiar with the, what was it 95 and 1997 movies? I think it was 95. I have to double check. Of Batman. It was uh, Batman Forever with Val Kilmer starring the titular role, and uh, Batman and Robin with George Clooney. If anyone's not too familiar, I guess all I have to say is these, these are, are the, the suits the that, that gave, gave us the bat ass. nipples. And I'm pretty sure you know from that point on what I'm talking about. These films, objectively, are not that good. They are very poor. And a lot of it is due to Warner Brothers' interference with what could have been interesting and a take on the characters and such and some miscasting, some awkward deliveries and such. But to me, I enjoy them. I liked them as a kid. In fact, I loved them as a kid. And to partial shame, I'll say I loved Batman and Robin when I was younger, as the one, just because it was the one that gave me both, you know, the the dynamic duo. And, yeah, I can look back now and kind of cringe at some things and jokes and delivery and overall presence and appeal and everything, but I still enjoy them. A lot of it's connected to me being a child while watching them, but I really, really like them. I can still say that to this day. I I still, I actually own them. I bought, like, the four-pack of Batman, Batman Returns with Michael Keaton, then Batman Forever, and Batman and Robin. I watch them from time to time. I still enjoy them. It's a guilty pleasure. Hey y'all, Joe here. So I'm the one who usually does the editing on these videos, and uh, we had a little hiccup in recording this episode right here. So between that last section where it ended and the upcoming one where you're about to hear... Uh, They're stitched together from two different call sessions, more or less, quote-unquote. So the software we use had a little hiccup there, and it kinda interfered with the full recording. However, we did manage to get back on track. I'm just gonna be uh, transparent with you guys out there, just letting you know, eh, not always perfect here on this end, you know, stuff happens, but I think we did pretty well for it. So, enjoy the rest of the episode.
0: Well, I don't know if that'll be noticeable or not, but we had a little technical error, a little technical difficulty, a little technical constipation, as I like to call it. But the last part we left off was you were talking about Batman. And I had a question about whether or not that era of Batman with, you know, Clooney, Kilmer, whether or not it was actually bad enough to consider a guilty pleasure, or was it just because I haven't seen them. And it seems to me like it was a weird time in comic book movies where they were trying to marry up a realistic, grounded version of the characters versus making it comic booky. And it kind of seemed like Tim Burton might be a good person to marry those up. So, as someone who hasn't seen it, what's your take on that?
1: Well, when you mentioned Tim Burton, you're probably familiar that he's the one who did the Michael Keaton films, right? right. In in '89 and '92, oh, right. respectively. He's the one that brought us like the first grim, darker version on the big screen, and that's a lot of people. Like, yeah, I'd say like early to mid '80s kids. They said like they, they saw it and were just like, "Wow, oh, this is Batman," that. and they still hold that to this day. They're like, "Michael Keaton is my favorite Batman ever. Tim mm-hmm. Burton is like the best one that's ever done," you know. And they'll even say that above some other takes on today. And I'm like, some of that is um, I, I don't know, I idolizing it, but. Because I'm like, I've seen those. And I saw them years and years later, of course. I like them. They really are a product of the time and when they were filmed. But it really is cool to see, like they said, uh, before that one, we really just had Adam West in the 60s to go off of. That really was like it. But in the comics, that's when you had like Frank Miller's take on the Dark Knight Returns, which is one of the darkest Batman stories and stuff like that. Really gritty, really dark. And I mean, it was way darker than the movie would ever let on, of course. You know, it was like something like this is happening and they're making it more serious, him more a serious developed character. So, yeah, Burton's take is still a good marriage of the two of like comic bookish with over the top things, but treating it a bit more seriously in some regards with just a little bit of like, you know, the ridiculous. Something like with the Kilmer. And Clooney films, they totally went more into the comic book-ish side of it. And I think that was both like hilarious and detrimental to the films as a whole. Because I consider it guilty pleasure as in, yeah, no, they're not bad. But there were interference by the studio. Because there literally was... um I mentioned it somewhere on this podcast before. I think it was talking about the sequel trilogy. I think it was the sequel trilogy episode. And I, I told you there was a term that Warner Brothers basically came up with when they were talking about making the Batman films, especially like the George Clooney one. They literally told uh, – oh, what's his name? The director. I forgot all of a sudden. Forgive me, sir. I remember your name in a second. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no I, I, here. I, I knew till I said it just now. Anyway, he was doing what he could, but he um, – oh, Joel Schumacher. Joel ah. Schumacher, same director of *Fan um, by the Opera, by the way. So he was tasked with those other two movies, and Burton even worked on the third one, the Val Kilmer one as a producer. But after that one, he left because he said, like, this is way out of what I was trying to do with it. So they coined this term Warner Brothers did called toyetic. They literally used that term, and in fact, it was Schumacher said in later interviews that he was told by Warner Brothers executives, well, you got to make it toyetic. And they're like, what does that mean? Like, what the heck is that? It's like, you got to be able to sell merchandise. And it's obviously clear by how the Batmobile looks and how they changed it up. And they literally had a costume change. Like, I think two or three costume changes in just Batman and Robin alone. Different variations on their suits. That is like, why is this here? And it's obviously because you want to sell more figurines. Right. And it's just like, it's it's so inundated with Warner Brothers pushing this other merchandising that it does to the detriment of everything else. It's just... Everything's bad with it. So that's why I consider it not really so bad it's good, is that I think there were people who were trying to go with a, to- a tone and a style that just didn't mesh well with the studio's main interest. Hmm. And That, I mean, that kind of makes was, sense
0: because from just hearing people talk about it as a movie fan but not having seen them myself, it did kind of seem like those movies where a bunch of people made fun of them, but they also still kind of liked them, so I wasn't quite sure where they were at.
1: Like I said, to me it's I consider it more of a guilty pleasure than so bad it's good because I don't think there was an I think there was an obvious attempt and some stuff made to try to make something decent and it was Mm -hmm. just interference from outside sources and you know pressure on the people involved. And some of it was some casting. Like George Clooney, I believe, didn't really care for it. He was thinking about playing the character. I think his kid convinced him to do it or something at the time, so he's just like, Yeah, okay, I'll do it. You know, he hated it on the set there. Stuff like that. He hated the costume because it was still the costume where you couldn't turn, their necks couldn't turn. Yeah. <laughs> it was actually I love, Christian. I love it was those Christian Bale's Batman that was the first to be able to turn his neck freely. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't until 2005 <laughs> that it was uh, Christopher Nolan's like, you know, Batman's yeah, got to Batman be able, to, able turn to turn his neck to fight, fight people. people.
0: Yeah, I think even um, Ben Affleck's Batman had a problem with that.
1: Yeah, I think their design was like they kind of went back to that other cowl design, but yeah. And I also consider him guilty pleasures in that the George Clooney one is definitely like, oh man, this is so laughable at times. And the dialogue and certain jokes are just so ridiculous. Like, he has a credit card that says unlimited on it <laughs> that he pulls I out. Need that he goes, card. Like, seven million. <laughs> Never leave the cave without it. And it's sort of like, what the heck is this movie? The bet card. And then, you know, you've got Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze with all the ice puns you could ever <clears> imagine <throat> and then some. And I mean just like, oh good gracious but I consider them guilty pleasures in that while the Clooney ones are kinda like eh, the Val Kilmer one was at least trying to be a bit more like Val Kilmer did a good job in my opinion. I consider him an underrated Bruce Wayne and Batman. Okay. However, I wish he got a chance in a better film. <laughs> Cause other than that, I'm like, I mean, he gave us the bat nipples and everything, so <laughs> and he wasn't, what would, he wasn't really. What would what the is. world what would the world be without bat nipples? Think about that, folks. Just think about that. I picture that meme where it's like, where it's just like this utopia of a futuristic city. You ever seen that meme where it's like, imagine the world without this or the world, if such and such hadn't been done. (laughs) It's like, that's probably where it would have led us at this point, folks, but we got bat nipples. And now the culture would have changed dramatically. (laughs) Oh yes, indeed. All
0: right. Well, moving on to another movie that I know you and I both love and have both seen, and I think we probably both knew we were going to talk about this one today, Furry
1: Vengeance. Ah, yes, yes. Is that, I do love that film.
0: Is that a guilty pleasure, or is it underrated?
1: You know, you're actually a good hard-hitting question for me, because I don't know. The practical part of my brain would like to say that it's a guilty pleasure, because I know it's like most comedies like that are not meant to be amazing or anything as a film by its own merits. I don't know. That's a hard one for me. Well, what about your opinions on this first? I'll I'll weigh in after you.
0: For me, I think you kind of just hit it right there, because comedies are in this place where, if they're comedies, you know, they're not dramas, they're not grand sci-fi adventures, unless your space falls. But it's if it's a comedy and something stupid happens, the question isn't well, was it? You know, the question is, was it funny? And me and you watch Furry Vengeance and we laugh. So in my mind, it's pretty underrated because, you know, if you don't like the film, that's fine. That's just a difference of opinion. But if I watch comedy and I laugh, then it did a good job,
1: you know? Yeah, I, I'd agree on that front. And I don't know. I I still wouldn't know where to put that. I'd almost put – I'd still almost weigh in on guilty pleasure on my side just because I know that it's a comedy and it did its job in making me laugh. I don't know. It's just weird. It It is a really kind of
0: – it's a very silly kind of humor.
1: I think that's partially what weighs my decision because uh, people out there who are listening, if you would get to know us or like know about us, we'll tell you that. Me and Sean here, we share that style of humor. We love like, I call it just stupid corny humor sometimes to, like, narrow it down, but, you know, like, slapstick or obvious pun or something thrown in, if the timing is great, yeah, I'm gonna laugh my head off. Mm-hmm. And you said it earlier, like, with Mel Brooks films, our example, they're not, like, oh, Spaceballs yeah. is not underrated or a guilty pleasure in my opinion, it's just funny, it's a comedy. Compared to that, you're like, yeah, maybe maybe not as good writing-wise or something, or parody, because that's more parody and everything, but Furry Vengeance* still says it's a guilty pleasure in a way, because it's like, part of me knows, like, you're an adult. You should not laugh at something like this. And I'm sitting there when <laughs> the bathtub scene when he <laughs> gets the bra. I'm just yeah. like Ahh! in the window and I'm just crying.
0: And yeah, like, maybe that's I just, true. I
1: think back on it and I can laugh at that and I still am like chuckling at it now. So I'd say part of me is like the grown-up in my brain wants to be like, no, you shouldn't laugh at this. This is this is childish and everything. And I'm just sitting there going. <laughs> and I, I think I that every time. that's a
0: that's a real testament to the skill of Mel Brooks that he's able to make such stupid humor that everybody loves,
1: you know? And, you know, it's again, it's a very hard thing to kind of quantify in some way, because it's all subjective. Like I said, we like that kind of humor. There are some people out there that despise it. They prefer Mm -hmm. more like British style in a way, like uh, more wit, clever put downs, clever wordplay. I enjoy that too. I really do. But I'm also one of those guys who's like, I like some slapstick and some comedy lowbrow comedy sometimes at the expense of others yeah sure yeah it's fun yeah it's real fun
0: well I will i i will I will guiltily keep mine in underrated but I definitely I definitely see where it starts to bleed over there
1: and like yeah. I said it's it's subjective but I do love that film too we we quote that often I know me and you when we've been together sometimes I think one thing oh, we yeah. quote a lot One thing I quote randomly that I know is, like, no one else gets it, but you instantly pick up. I'll just be, like, Ken Jeong's character, who I love, Ken Jeong. He's a perfect example of, like, guilty pleasure person in a way and, like, underrated. He's just – he's so good when he gets into that ridiculous, over-the-top characters. And I love his, like, antagonistic person in that. Just overly done deliveries, everything, like, with, like, straight face and everything makes it, Mm. like – better and like the thing we quote all the time is that it is raccoon, <laughs> <It's> raccoon. <laughs> i quote that all the time and i'm like i do it around you and you and me both just like laugh at it and other people just look at us like really like what are you quoting i'm just like you wouldn't get it
0: yeah that was back before ken jong had really come into the spotlight i think
1: yeah like he was still on his climb i would say well then again he had done the hangover at that point right so oh heading. i think he had
0: i wasn't sure could be. He was definitely a he was definitely bigger in stand up before then, but yeah,
1: yeah, I I would say it was definitely on the rise, like to where he is now. Oh yeah. He's, but, yeah, that, and that he's film living it just, now. To complement that film, you know, you had Ken Jeong in there, you had Brendan Fraser, who is really good at that comic stuff, I think the comedic stuff. He's hilarious. There's a reason I put him as one of my favorite actors, just because he's good in the balance of it, like in the Mummy films. He's good in slapstick style and furry vengeance. He's just funny. And George of the Jungle, one of my all-time favorites.
0: That was a really kind of a missed part of the Mummy films, I think, was Brendan Fraser's role in, you know, he could still pull off that leading man type thing. But he also brought a a charismatic, lighthearted humor to it still, too. He wasn't this dark, gritty... Brooding dude
1: mm-hmm. all the time, and another fair point just on the mummy movies because I would, you know, that's funny. We can mention those right now if you think about it.
0: I'm yeah. it down,
1: but I'm like the mummy one and two, or the mummy, the mummy returns. I do not count the curse of the dragon emperor or the tomb of the dragon emperor. I'm sorry, this. Is, uh. See, that's a guilty but, pleasure
0: on mine. Uh huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs>
1: but it's very, but it's
0: very, very guilty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm so guilty. I have to yeah. hide under my blanket when I watch it, but I do watch it.
1: No, in honesty, I, I, I don't like the film still, but I'd still say I enjoy it, if that makes sense. Like, I don't have to love a film to enjoy it. Because I'm like, there's still some funny lines in there. There are deliveries that work well. There, are, You know, Brendan Fraser's still doing really well, in my opinion, in that. And it's just like, yeah, they tried something different. They were going to go here's, in the direction, but okay.
0: Here's what you have to do. You have to just imagine that the characters you see are in a completely different universe. It's not in the Mummy universe. It's completely different characters, new everything, and you have to set it on a shelf by itself. And then you can kind of enjoy it. But if, if you're coming off of Mummy 1 and Mummy 2, it's not, yeah, it, it's it's you're not going to enjoy it.
1: There are parts, like you said, that stand on their own, but there's a few quirks with me that bothered me. Mostly because they couldn't get Rachel Weiss to come back, and I was just upset about Evie's character. But, you know, we mentioned that before with, I think we actually mentioned that gripe, and I said, the, the actress who played her, you still did a great job. I just wish for continuity's sake. I'm partially autistic, so things like that bother me. It's the same reason I couldn't, I didn't like it first when Mark Ruffalo was in place of Edward Norton. It's mostly for continuity's sake. I was just like, eh. Same thing with uh in talking about Marvel with Terrence Howard being replaced by Don Cheadle. Love both. Mm-hmm. Don Cheadle's is great, but it's like, you know, it's like in Iron Man One it was played by Terrence Howard. <laughs> no, it's totally different and everyone's acting like it's the same.
0: Well it's it's not even as egregious in those films because one, that was before the MCU had really taken off. And then two, they were just there for the one movie. You know, Terrence Howard was just in Iron Man One. Edward Norton was just in The Incredible Hulk. And then they moved on from there. But with The Mummy, you know, Evie was, you know, the the main character, basically. And she had already been there for two other movies. And then they had to switch her into the last one. And the surrounding movie wasn't that great anyway. So it was, it was just a perfect storm, I think.
1: You know what's funny? And- I would still consider... Going on our main topic, we kind of rabbit trailed a little bit, but I'd say The Mummy and The Mummy Returns are more underrated. Like, they've still got weaker things, but they're not... Like, movies of the time, definitely.
0: I actually think... I think people actually like those more than we think. Because every every time I hear people talk about them online, I don't hear anyone that doesn't like it.
1: Yeah, well, besides (laughs) some snobby critics.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. Here's a guilty pleasure that you might hate me for. I actually found myself enjoying the Tom Cruise mummy. Are you still there?
1: Yeah, it was funny to see so many people tear into that film. Because, like, uh, again, when I watched him more heavily, I watched a YouTuber, Nostalgia Critic, tear into it with another guy that reviewed, I think it was Cinemassacre or something like that was his name. Pretty big name. I know, like, people probably go, oh, yeah, him. But they tore into it. Like, I mean, they tore it apart, saying it was just awful. And I'm just like, I watched it. Say, that movie is not an amazing film, but I would say it's it's a guilty pleasure for me, too, because I watched it, first of all, and I had that critique in mind. But then as I watched it, I was like, this is definitely the, the main flaw of this film to me, like a, the big overarching one, is how it was meant to be part of a larger saga like the MCU.
0: Yeah, and that was... As soon as I realized, okay, this has nothing to do with the previous Mummy movies, they were just using the name and the, the shadow of the lore that was behind it or whatever, then I was like, okay, I'm just going to enjoy this for what it is. And I was kind of disappointed we never got that Dark Universe, because that looked, you know, it seemed kind of rushed, and you could kind of tell in this movie that they were really trying to set something else up. But at the same time, I was still kind of interested to see what they had going on.
1: Yeah, like I said, to me it was just the obvious rushing to for Universal to make their own little their own thing there was definitely the overarching like kind of the doom that was dangling over it, you know, hovering over the whole production. I'm like that's definitely what what kind of soured it if you think about it in that context. But as in a, like if it just stuck as a film called The Mummy, I think it might have been a bit better. Mm. Not it wouldn't have saved it from a lot of critiques and stuff, but you know, a lot of things in there I did like And besides a few elements taken blatantly from other, like, horror films and stuff, I was, like, even I called out a few, I was, like, that's taken from this, you know, that's taken from that, but it's, like, from what was in there, you know, it had people I like in it, and even the people we got that were hinted at to be their other, like, counterparts was interesting to say how it could have been, but, yeah, it just, it didn't do well at all it did so poorly that it basically tanked their whole idea that and a few other sources of their whole dark universe
0: (laughs) it killed the entire universe
1: (laughs) it really did i mean i like Uh, parts of it though i would agree with you i think it's a guilty pleasure because it's not awful in my opinion i don't think it deserves like six out of ten but i'd still give it like a seven i wouldn't give it a six i wouldn't give it an eight either sadly but i'd be like i'd give it a seven seven point five maybe eight on a good mood
0: if i'm in a good mood exactly
1: But I'm like, yeah, like, I'd say with you, if I sat down and said, I want a movie to kill time, and I saw that was on Netflix or something, I'd probably be like, and nothing else was good, I'd be like, yeah, I'd watch it.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I wouldn't change the channel immediately. So what else do you have for us? What's next on our list?
1: Well, you know what? Uh, I mentioned the Batman films, and I have another set of films, so I might cheat a bit. They're not really connected. Like, the Batman ones were at least more connected because they are meant to be, like, meant to actually follow each other. Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of meant the same thing. It's meant to be the same Batman, the same Gotham city that Tim Burton started is the same that George Clooney was in and everything. But, and, and you know, like besides being oh, really? played by different people. Yeah. They, they they use the same like house set and everything. They use the same, whatever the same, like Danny Elfman score for the first two was a lot more was in the third one. But then there's another person wrote for um the Batman and Robin theme and stuff. They were still meant to be kind of connected in a way, but it's like, you know how it's like, eh. right. Right. These are like loosely connected in that they're the same animation studio made them within years of each other, and they are highly regarded as underrated. And to anyone out there who's familiar with animation in particular, I'm talking about Disney's underrated trilogy, to me, a trifecta of films that do not deserve any of the hate and critics they, and still have, like they're still sitting at like 6 and 7 out of 10, and I'm like, man, they deserve 8, at least 8 or 9 for some of them. But hmm. I'm talking, like, Atlantis, Atlantis the, Lost the Lost Empire, Empire died, died, died. Treasure, Treasure Planet, Planet, and The, the Emperor's, Emperor's New Groove. Groove. Now, to be fair, I will say, in personal opinion, The Emperor's New Groove is not as good as the other two. It's a solid film, and it still is, it's more, that one I consider more a guilty pleasure for me, just because I'm like, eh, it's definitely more of a cornier family-style film. But I laugh at a lot of the jokes. And come on, if I didn't watch anything with Eartha Kitten as a Disney villain, I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> and and of course, Patrick Warburton as Kronk. Yep. Gotta love Patrick's voice, man, just and Kronk is like one of those Disney characters everyone loves. <laughs> but yeah, the other two especially, it irks me so much to see them online get some bashing still, and I'm like, they're definitely in recent years, people will know, that, that understand this or do know about it, they're definitely getting more of a cult classic status, and a lot of personal reviews are giving them eight through ten out of 10 because they're saying this did not deserve the hate. And some are saying like, you know, I never knew about this movie because this is like years before my time, but they're going back and watching it on Disney plus or something. And it's just like, wow, I didn't know they made this movie in this style of movie. I know partly why they did not do well, but it still bothers me.
0: So I, I have not seen Atlantis, which I know aggrieves you. And I definitely want to pick it up at some point. I have seen the Emperor's new groove, which I loved, you know, Everybody loves Kronk from that movie. He was the breakout star. But the rest of the movie is really good, too. Like, it's not a uh, I don't I don't know why it got any negative reviews. I mean, it's, you know, were you expecting something different. (laughs) They they gave us a pretty good movie.
1: I mean, it was technically different. I think I mentioned to you how I learned behind the scenes that it started off as a more not really serious, but slightly more serious in tone as opposed well, to mean, very yeah. comedic. It was called like Empire of the Sun or something like that. And Yzma was a villain who was like a, a witch or something who was going to like trying to kill the sun god or something like that. She even had a whole musical number. Okay, that part, I will say, bothers me. You had Eartha Kitt.
0: Yeah. You gave her
1: a Disney villain song and a good one because it's actually out there. If anyone wants to listen to it, it's on Spotify. You can find it on YouTube. It's called Snuff Out the Light. Look it up, please. It's a banger. It's so she she fully recorded it and everything with backing track and orchestra and everything, but they never <laughs> used it. I'm I'm glad we still have it for posterity, but uh she never got to sing at all, man. in the movie it bothers me.
0: Well, she, she was one of the most iconic voices of all time, really. Oh, and,
1: I, and I think so... it's cool that they got her to be a Disney character. You know, like I said, it, she oh, completely. Yeah. If anyone else played Yzma, it wouldn't have been the same.
0: No, she and she definitely like dug into it too. You could tell, you could tell she was really going for it. Oh yeah, and that paired with heard, animation.
1: She, from what I heard, she enjoyed it a lot.
0: But that leading into saying, I, I have seen uh, *Empress in a Groove*, which I loved, but I really, really, really love *Treasure Planet*. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Definitely in my top ten. But one, it's coming off of. Being in the same vein of, you know, Treasure Island. It's a Treasure Island adaptation, which may be something we talk about later. Fores-
1: foreshadowing. Foreshadowing.
0: But also, it's just a great universe. It's in its own right. Whenever I put on that movie, I just want to be in that universe. You know, I want to go there. I want to ride on their little waveboards or whatever. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just love it.
1: Oh yeah, like that one I think irks me more in a way because I'm like, people, like critics bashed it at the time and I'm like, this is such a inventive take on yeah. the story of Treasure Island that I'm like, how could you like hate this? Like what parts of this did you not like? Was it the animation? Was it the fact that it's not a musical or something? Was it, I don't know. You know, part of that can be viewed as in like those films I think were actually back to back if I remember correctly. I don't remember which one was first now, but it was like, treasure planet atlantis they came back to back and they were here's like i said the logical part of my brain did research and i know why they didn't do as well for some critiques and stuff it's because they're darker honestly they're darker disney films they're not like completely you know lock the kids up don't let them see this oh my goodness but they're not they're one of the few films of disney that are not musicals there's no musical numbers in either of them right it's not very family-ish friendly. It's definitely a darker... Like, Atlantis, especially, in my opinion, is a bit more darker than Treasure Planet. But Treasure Planet's obviously based on Treasure Island, so there's a bit more peril in some scenes. There's a bit more right. harrowing events that could scare younger kids. And people often think of Disney with young kids. right? Like, oh, I can put on a Disney film for my kids to watch.
0: See, that being said, though, the OG Disney was pretty dark at times. Like, if you go back to uh, even Beauty and the Beast... Go back and watch that wolf scene where Belle's getting chased by wolves, and tell me it 's not a uh, dark scene. Go back and watch Fox and the Hound when the <laughs> bear attacks. My gosh, that thing gives you nightmares dude J- I want even to, as an adult
1: I want to talk about Disney giving nightmares and i 'm saving that for I think around October around Halloween I specifically i wanna, I want to specifically focus on Disney just because I 'm like Disney had moments that scarred me even from non horror films. Even from their musical lighthearted ones, some of those older f- things, something about film stock is creepy. Mm-hmm. Just saying. And yes, you great examples. It's like, they're that. But you know, to be fair, those were also not as good at the time.
0: Like, I guess that's for true. Beauty,
1: Beauty and the Beast was, of course, an exception. That's the one that was like the pinnacle of their, or considered one of the pinnacle of their renaissance period, because that's the first animated feature film to win Best Picture at the Oscars. Right. It's a monumental, a monument to their, reputation and everything for it. But your point is, your point is very valid. It's true. They are never one to shy away from being a bit more darker and things like that. In fact, interesting story, the directors for beauty and the beast, same directors wrote and directed Atlantis. Oh, really? Yeah. Same. They were given another project later on. So they did, they were kind of like, we want to do not a musical. We want to do a more like grounded story, like a fantasy adventure with the atlantis you know the first hmm. empire consider the first sunken city all these things and and they did it and they had an interesting art style which some people don't like the art style i will say they didn't those really people like are idiots and, yeah i'm like eh,
0: wait not... no where are the idiots
1: yeah well they're morons no, they. wait a minute
0: <laughs> they're morons. bigger idiots the morons yeah, yeah
1: yeah yeah we're the idiots here we're the residential video idiots they're the morons <laughs> that's
0: right But I did want to bring up too, though. You mentioned uh, there's no uh, musical numbers in those movies, which is true; they're not musicals. But Treasure Planet has—it's one of my favorite movies of all time, and it has one of my favorite songs of all time, which is Jim's theme. If you you look that up, still here. Yes, I'm still here. It's a great song. Oh,
1: it is, and it's just by itself. Yeah. Like, because the visuals they used of everything of his backstory, it was kind of, like, told, I think, very well with no words. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, the inclusion of that song made it better. And, yeah, that whole I'm still here. So it's a great number. It really is. Which Indicative I think... of that early style of rock, too, which is funny.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like
1: 2000s rock right there. I'm like, that's it right there.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> that hits the
1: spot. There is some nostalgia when I hear that song, in all honesty.
0: <laughs> and I think it's, like, one of the only ways that – it, it it actually improved upon the original Treasure Island. Is getting that backstory in there so briefly too, that it really makes you connect with uh, Jim's character, connecting to Long John. It just deepens that relationship. So yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, and I think that's a different change that I won't dwell on. But I definitely think their relationship they went with with Long John and Jim was a lot better than the base Treasure Island even. Like they kind of fleshed it out a lot more and they said, What well, if we focused it on this side of it instead of like how it's presented? And I'm like, eh, eh. We're definitely gonna talk at length about Treasure Planet, though we have a lot to say about that one. Yep. I I don't think that one like that's the funny thing. Atlantis has received some things of like, Oh, this is good. Treasure Planet still to some people holds like a I don't know why, but like lower view, and I'm like, Why? I don't get it. I like it, all of you are stupid.
0: It's I'm hilarious. Stupid, but you're stupider. It's hilarious because everyone is like Oh, studios never make anything original anymore. The the movies are just like rehashing old stuff and they don't make anything original. Well, you know why? Cuz they make original stuff with great creators
1: and y'all think it sucks cuz it's different.
0: Okay. Anyways, we we've it's, gone on with these for a while. Good yeah, good choices yeah. though.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Do you have another one to add if we want to go back and forth here or
0: Um, I have a I have a well, here I was gonna pick a superhero one. I don't know how much time we have left, though.
1: But we're good.
0: <laughs> we're good. Okay. One that I believe you introduced me to way back in the day. Inkheart. Really? Yes.
1: I don't recall introducing, but I might have. Did you not? Know. Maybe you introduced it to me. I don't know. Maybe I thought you did. I, Maybe not. I have seen it though.
0: Okay. I yeah.
1: would say to me that's an underrated film.
0: I agree. 100%. Cuz I'm like
1: it's not amazing again, but you know, Brendan Fraser with a turn of being slightly more It's a, it's definitely like more of a dramatic kids film, you know? It's it's almost similar, kind of similar in a way to those 80s kids films, you know, the ones that are like terrify your kids but have a good moral at the end so they know it's okay.
0: Like uh Spiderwick
1: Oh, uh, well, Spider Spiderwick, Spiderwick is not 80s. Spiderwick is not 80s version. No, no, no. Spiderwick to me, I was like, I'm surprised Nickelodeon made that film. Is that think, Nickelodeon? That was a Nickelodeon produced film. Wow. For out loud. yeah. I'm like, Spiderwick is like scary, scary to me. Like, I would not trust kids near that at all, hmm. unless you really hate those children. But you know, no, that that I won't talk about Spiderwick. But... No, I was gonna yeah. say, um <laughs> No, I think Inkheart's kind of evocative of that older like it's kind of more terrifying and a bit darker but mm-hmm. it's light-hearted enough and like i like the characters who are in it including two or three bigger names like you know brendan Fraser's the lead you got paul bettany mm-hmm. who was i think at that time still struggling right because that was in that period where he wasn't getting a lot of roles and stuff before marvel yeah it was right I mean, in there and i mean what's bad because or it's it's sad that's just you not know, bad sorry it's sad because he's he's great and he's funny like, I don't know if you've seen him in some more comedic stuff, but he's hilarious.
0: Yeah, I remember him in um, Night's Tale.
1: Yes, yes, I love that film so much. It's, it's I really funny. do. It's so stupid, like, in the best <laughs> way. I mean that, like, it's so dumb that I, I love it so much. I want to see more films like that or a sequel to that in a way. Yeah. Like, a spiritual successor, I should say, not a direct sequel. A spiritual successor to that tone and style. But yeah, I was going to say, it had Paul Bettany as an interesting character. Uh, Andy Circus again, just always great. That line he delivers about like, what is that stuff called that I love so much? Duct duct tape. I love duct tape. <laughs> I just love the way he pronounces everything so correctly, just perfect.
0: Yeah, this was one of those movies too where when I watched it as a kid, I didn't really realize that all of these actors were gonna become some of my favorite actors. And then you go back and watch it when you're older and you realize, Oh my gosh, I love all these people. Yeah, it's it's a really great concept for a story too. For those who don't haven't seen it, go watch it. Go pick it up. It, it'll be in the in the dollar section at Walmart or something, or just watch it online. It's just a great concept, and like you said, it really hits that area between they make it still kind of fun and kid like, but it's also it, it's not dark, but it's darker ish.
1: Yeah, and I will say that it is an adaptation of a book.
0: Is it? I was wondering.
1: See, I believe it is, and me and you, I don't think we have not read this story. So I don't know. I think that's where some of the hate came from or some of the disliking Uh, was some fans of the book saying it was not a a good adaptation or as many parts that were different from the series. So to be fair, we're looking at this just for the veil of what we saw as a film. I have not read this adaptation, but I still like the film. That That would
0: perfectly explain it to me. If it was a book adaptation and people loved the book series... That makes a lot of sense. Because me, not having read the book, just watching the movie, I liked it. But I've been in that similar position where other people who haven't read a book that I love watch the movie of it, and they think, yeah, it's a fine movie. And then they haven't watched the book or, like, the show, Last Airbender series. Let's not get into that. But that that would make a lot of sense why people maybe didn't like it as much as I did.
1: Yeah, like I said, I, I have not read this series, and I just looked it up on Wikipedia just real quick. So it is... Uh, Ink Art came out in 2003, actually, the novel, and it is part of a trilogy, apparently. So the other two books were called Ink Spell and Ink Death. Oh, my. That's so you know what? Dark turn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. You know, actually, hearing that, though, I'm kind of intrigued. I'm like, I, I might have to go see if the library has that or something, if someone has them somewhere. Yeah. I definitely have to read those. Because, like, to those of you out there who are listening, if you are, if you are one of those people who are fans of the series and not the movie, that's perfectly all right. Just know that we're talking from opinions of those who have not read the series. So that that is just the thing. We're not bashing you or saying you're incorrect. You hopefully you don't just bash us and say, "Well, you don't know because like, no, we don't know." I, I will say that I feel your pain. I feel it. I I can feel it too. As someone who loves adaptations and stuff like that, and seeing certain ones go to the wayside or just be like oh no
0: mm-hmm.
1: that is a i think your choice is good though i like that one because i i kind of remembered it when you said it i was like oh man i haven't thought about that in a while i i do like that film definitely is an underrated film to me i've got two here that that kind of lump like the disney trilogy i just gave you like, you know quote-unquote trilogy because mm-hmm. they're both by the same studio they're not at all connected they're kind of separate, but I'll go one at a time. You know, never mind. I'll just go one at a time.
0: Um, did you want to make uh, these two our last ones?
1: I can go ahead and just lump them, but I'll say, like, one at a time and just uh, make that. So the first one I'll mention, they're both by DreamWorks. So rival company, rival studio to Disney, obviously, right? Uh, this mm-hmm. one was, like, it received mid-reviews at the time. Like, it, it's not a failure at all, and it was not a box office failure. But it definitely was, with some critics, they're like, not one of DreamWorks' better films. But watching it, to me, I'm like, this is an underrated film, in my opinion. It's also kind of that bridge of guilty pleasure, where it's got some of the DreamWorksisms of jokes that are a bit too sometimes on the more adult side, but you laugh at it because as the adults watching, their DreamWorks has always been more on the slightly risque side, you know, even with their original ones, because they're always like they'll put in things that the kids will like, but the adults watching, the kids won't understand, but the adults will get the joke. Right. They're they're, they're known for that. And they haven't hit on all cylinders, of course. You know, they've had a few flops as well. Disney had some in their period of their tenure and DreamWorks has as well, where they just like released a few movies and people are like, why did you release that? <laughs> I'm thinking of things like Home or whatever, and you're just like, oh my goodness, that was... Like, I didn't even watch that and it was so awful. But this one is kind of on the thing to me as underrated, but also it's got elements of a guilty pleasure because I really like it. It's Mega Mind.
0: Yeah, I think we were gonna make this a topic, even of movies that should have gotten a sequel and didn't. And Megamind is fits that perfectly. Did anyone not like that movie?
1: Well, that's what I was saying. Um, according to some research and stuff, I don't think it was hated at all. In fact, it did pretty well. It's just some critics, some critics gave it like you know six or seven out of ten. And I'm like, that's... I'm just like, that's fair. But I think it deserved like an eight, at least eight or nine, because it is like it's kind of more of a comedy again, like on that bear, on that line you were saying of if a comedy and comedic more comedic film makes you laugh. And I'm like, this one to me is like more on the underrated side, just because I'm like, it makes me laugh. There are a lot of jokes and stuff from there that are definitely underappreciated. Although, to be fair, this film has gotten more of a rise in the meme community. Yeah, that's true. There's a lot of those, like, memes and scenes from it being used, and I'm like, yes, that's good.
0: I don't see what you could not like about that movie, though, because it, it seems to me, if the thing you don't like is, oh, this part of it was silly, well, if it's meant to be silly, it's not a bad thing, you know? Yeah. But, I don't know, I haven't actually read any reviews, but I do know that it was... I, A while ago, I saw some people saying, oh, it was kind of stupid.
1: Really? Come on. Yeah, I I would say it's just down to, again, subjectiveness. You never know who's going to look at it and think, oh, this is bad, and someone else will be like, oh, I love this. I I personally enjoyed it, so that's my point on it. It's just like I actually like it. I do Mm -hmm. consider it more on the underrated side just because I'm like I don't think it deserved as much as any of the critiques do, and I love it. For a lot of the jokes and stuff, we we quote a lot of those as well. We've like gone back and like think about it. You know, and there's just stupid moments. I'd say m- some parts of it would just be like, if you don't like Will Ferrell, maybe the people that don't like Will Ferrell wouldn't like the movie because he's the titular character. I mean, that's literally. I'm just thinking. I'm like, who, how could I justify it? I don't know. Maybe that. But even then, that's know, not really it's fair.
0: Like, it's it's like that's the best work Will Ferrell's ever ever done. <laughs> you know. <laughs> in animation at least
1: and and i'll be honest like at the time i wasn't a huge fan of will farrell like i didn't hate him but i also was just like if i saw him in a movie i would just be like yeah it's will farrell being will farrell i think and I'm he like, did so... suffer a little
0: bit from being oversaturated in, in the market
1: i mean to be fair he was in a lot of films for like in the couple of years he was just in a bunch of them and he kind of exactly. played the same the same deal yeah, and that that is true. It kind of impacted his image, and a lot of people got like me, were kind of like, "Oh, it's just another thing." So it's like, "Oh, they got him to do it." But yeah, I consider I consider it one of his better movies, like just because his vocal performance got a better chance at being not just another Will Ferrell role. It was more unique and and fun, and a lot of parts of it, like his stupid voice he used as the uh, old man, which is an obvious send up to like Marlon Brando. <laughs> 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 Arise, my child i'm your yeah. stepdad
0: unfathomable unfathomable
1: without fathom.
0: <laughs> without fathoms one of the great lines <laughs> in all cinema
1: and him and um david cross are really paired well mm-hmm. as Megamind and minions just like you know was like the stupid things you know like and why are you wearing oh they perfume or something like that it's just my natural musk
0: yeah well talk about that cast in this movie I'm looking at the IMDb page, and it's Will Ferrell, Jonah Hill, Brad Pitt, Tina Fey, David Cross, Ben Stiller, yeah, J.K. Simmons is even in there.
1: He's the warden, yes. Yeah. I love the film, I do. And Tom I love McGrath. Brad I even love uh, Brad Pitt's character, because Metro Man is just a, it's a whole send-up to Superman, like the guy who just has every power, basically. Mm-hmm. And I love the idea that he's just like, the reason behind it, so spoilers for people, I guess, is just the thing, he gets bored yep that's literally just like we do this whole thing every day (laughs) we're like all the time i win you get locked up you get out we do it again is there any point to it (laughs) and like that's the idea behind this stuff they had fun with it it's just like playing with the tropes of the superhero supervillain but also that's where i think it also succeeded more was the story and like the topic of focusing and and flipping it on its head the whole idea of the supervillain and it like of a superhero supervillain Town caught in between the interests between the people and the relationships that could develop if, if given time and given a different treatment. Mm. And as that, I'm like, it succeeded. And I do love the film. It is, it's, it's funny.
0: Yeah. And it did kind of play with that theme of superhero and supervillain in a way that I don't think any other, at least no movie that I can think of, really has. Like, it wasn't just a movie about a supervillain. It was a movie about a an underdog supervillain, but he also has to wrestle with being good. And then yada yada yada. It, it was a really unique story, even with telling a universal story. I think
1: the misunderstood poor Cretan
0: trying, trying to stand up to Superman.
1: I mean, also the whole joke was like the whole narration. Remember, like the whole like you were destined for great... That was a lot to put on a eight day old yeah <laughs> and make mine in prison as it's just baby. like he's going to the mansion boom, nope yeah <laughs> just it's funny like that no idea yeah so if i was not going to be good why not be evil when i'm like it's 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 the idea that is actually in comics some people even said that as their motivation in serious comics there have been villains who are like if i try to be good and it never works why not just be evil but he takes it and takes that trope and like makes it comical like yeah but what if
0: Yeah, well, and that's the same kind of motivation that uh, Jonah Hill's character had. Titan. That was his story, too.
1: Yeah, because it was actually the trope of, like, someone mild-mannered person who gets the powers. Well, what if it flips it on its head, and instead of being the noble, valiant hero, it turns into, you know, kind of a, you know, jerk.
0: Really should have gotten a sequel.
1: I think it deserves one for, like, just the universe idea of it. Fleshing out would be fun to see, but yeah, probably not. Like, I don't think we're gonna get one. Yeah, If anything, it could be a Netflix series because DreamWorks seems to be doing good with making stuff for Netflix.
0: You know what? I wonder if there was a silly TV show made off of it because that's something they were kind of doing around that time. I bet there is.
1: I wouldn't doubt it. That is definitely, to me, I consider that more underrated. Oh, yeah, for sure. And uh, my second one that I had mentioned from this is being also DreamWorks. It is a sequel. In fact, it's the third of a set where Ooh. I didn't think they were going to make a third movie because they even made a sequel to this movie. I was like, oh, OK, it was it was nice. It, it's kind of more on the guilty pleasure side where I was like, I enjoy it, but not like immensely. This one, I'm not sure where to place it still. I'm, I'm very stuck on if I consider it underrated or a guilty pleasure. And it might be kind of like the prequels where it's both because it's not going to be amazing because it's a sequel. Very rarely does a film as a sequel make like a impression, a strong impression to be like, this stands as its own merit. You know, very mm. few sequels have done that to merit their own existence besides banking off of being, Hey, remember this first film? You remember how good that was? I'm banking off of that. And you know, the the majority of sequels, what is it? Like 98% of them, something are usually just fodder following off of another. But uh, th- this film to go back as a DreamWorks one, it's Madagascar 3, Europe's Most Wanted. The sequel, (laughs) the original sequel was like Escape to Africa, whatever, or something like that, was funny, and it it did continue a story thread that was interesting. But the third one was kind of like, it was unwarranted. It wasn't necessary, because they actually wrapped up the second one in a satisfactory way. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But it's funnier than it has any right to be.
0: Yeah, it really felt like the uh, creators, I guess, <laughs> were like, all right, this is a third one. We're not getting a fourth one. Let's just do stupid stuff. <laughs> and, and yeah, it was way funnier than you right being.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, that's the one I think me and you watched it. And then we had our mutual friend. We were at his house. Or he was at we were at your place actually, I remember you remember this years ago, and we asked him like, Well, have you seen the thing? And he goes, Nah, it's just another sequel, right? And we just went, No, it's actually way better than it has no, right to be. It's so not we watched just a sequel. It. So we literally were and we were already up at like it was already like twelve or something like that or midnight, but we put it in and watched it anyway. <laughs> it's the best time to watch it in my opinion. Oh yeah. I mean, heck, there's that personal story that I won't divulge on this podcast, but there was a time where we watched something at like three AM and I nearly died laughing. <laughs> And Sean here laughs at me dying, and then our third friend laughs at the two of us not being able to breathe because we're laughing so hard. And that is a true story, folks. I'm not lying. I I laughed so hard I could not inhale.
0: Those are the best times.
1: Oh, man, yes. I still remember that memory somehow. My oxygen-deprived brain still holds on to that. I can't hold on to what I learned in 10th grade geometry, but I can remember that.
0: Yeah, Madagascar was really... it It was the franchise that just kept on giving. Because after they did Madagascar 3, they came out with another great movie that I don't think got a lot of recognition, which was the Penguins movie. Oh yeah, that was hilarious. My gosh, that is just a funny movie. And I will laugh at that every time it goes, goes on the TV. I will love it.
1: I, I think that to me, one of the things that got me was hearing Benedict Cumberbatch seriously say to his compatriot <laughs> and like, I don't know how he did it with a straight face. It's a testament to how good an actor he is, but like the, and we are the North wind. No one breaks the wind. <laughs> how you delivered that straight faced. I'll never know.
0: <laughs> he actually couldn't say penguins right either.
1: That is true. But yes, as I was gonna say, Madagascar three was, I agree with your point. It's kind of like they were finally, were like, you know, what if we treated these characters Slightly more like in a TV show sense, and like this adventure doesn't have to make too much sense, but we can just have more fun with it. And because the overall premise is, is so stupid, even yeah. more than the other two films. The first one, at least, was more grounded in that you know, like it is actually trying to go to the wild, they managed to do so. The second one, a little bit more backstory and heart was implemented with like Alex, right? His, his whole thing with his lineage and his parents and stuff. And some more identity issues was, like, trying to be done. And it's serviceable. It was funny. But then the third one's just like, what if a bit more ridiculous of it? They want to go back to the States to their cushy lives. They go. They end up crashing in Europe. You know, all these other jokes are made. It's so stupid. But, you know, there's a lot more. How do they get out? They, they join a circus to travel to America. <laughs> and it's just like, okay. Chased you just, by, uh, you...
0: was that Marion yeah. here? Who was that?
1: Oh, I, I think it was Francis McDormand.
0: The uh, that makes a
1: lot of sense doing a very over the top French accent, <laughs> which was beloved. I loved it. Her character was so hilarious. What was it? Dubois? Dubois, Dubois of Animal Control. Let's see, I'm uh, it just, up now. Uh, man. Mm-hmm. yes, I, I consider like elements of that film are definitely underrated, but it's also like the fact that it's a you know, honestly, a, a kind of a crappier sequel to two other films, like. Piggybacking on it is what makes it a guilty pleasure for me.
0: Well, it was, I think it was a movie that really knew what it was. You know, like you said, in the second one, they were, you know, they were still trying to tell a story. And then in the third one, it was like, there's no story here. We're just doing stuff and we're going to have fun.
1: And I loved it. And I mean, the characters that they added were like smaller bits or something were still hilarious. Because mm-hmm. like we still got more of the penguins. We had, oh, who was it Brian Cranston was the tiger? Yep. Which is funny because it's like one of the things you can't really tell it's him because he's doing such a thick Russian accent. And he had some of the other jokes that I loved that were just like oh man, my family laughed at him. And Martin Short I didn't... Is, the, is the seal. I didn't know Vinny Jones was in there. <laughs> oh, he's yeah. the dog, isn't he? <laughs> he's the dog. I remember that now in a way because it's funny. They're like the little wiener dogs. i like, oh you, who you can't <laughs> yeah, That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it was funny. Like, you guys are trying to be cute, but you're not. Maybe you should just instead do this. <laughs> Mm. And yeah, and it was like, Francis McDormand? Ah, uh, okay. I thought I thought I saw that before. Yeah, yeah. I love her Dubois. It was so it was so so stupid again in the best way. Like it was just like she's such a great animated villain.
0: Yeah. And I'll, also, we get to see again uh, one of the greatest pairings in all of cinema: Julian and Mort. <laughs> is, oh, there, man. is there a better? Uh, is there a better pair? Is there a better duo? King Julian and Mort. This one had
1: better moments using King Julian and Mort, I think, than the rest of the films. Like him introduced and everything was great in the first one, but I think him in the third one was just the whole better yeah. I love the part when they're on the they he King Julian goes like, I'm still here guys and oh, falls off the edge and you see Maurice just like smile like <gasps> <laughs> And then he comes up on the helicopter and Mort's like, Yay, he's alive and Mort just like there's a sad look on his face, like, Oh no, it's so, it, the movie just, it has no right being that funny. It really does not, in my opinion. Mm-mm. And it that, just that was really. Like the,
0: that also had one of the stupid spinoff shows that actually turned out being a little bit funny. <laughs> yeah. There was a Penguin show, and I think, and then there was a uh, King Julian and uh, I think yeah, it was just King yeah, Julian yeah.
1: show. I do remember those. Yeah, they were like on Cartoon Network or something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I did watch some of the Penguin show, I remember. But yeah, I love the character of the penguins and the, and the monkeys too. Uh, what is it? They crash in France, and the joke is like, the monkeys are work nonstop to rebuild the plane. Wait, where are you going? The labor laws are quite lax here in France, actually. Something like, what do you mean? Oh, they actually get out so many days a year. Well, somebody else has the Canadian work ethic. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like stupid. It's just like... <laughs> it's just...
0: Tom McGrath was great as a skipper. Well, guys. We are definitely gonna have. We definitely have a lot more movies on our lists of uh, underrated versus guilty pleasure. Probably even some. I don't. I don't. What do you call it when a movie's bad enough
1: that it's good? Bad. Is there a name for that? I mean, you mean like so bad it's good?
0: Yeah. Is it just? Do you just say that so bad it's good?
1: Like we kind of touched on it in the beginning. I I, I think it kind of. There are elements that can. And a film can still kind of technically classify as that, or subjectively classify as that to you, but it can bleed into a guilty pleasure in that sense. Hmm. But I think there are a few films, like I mentioned, there are so films that are just so bad in execution, design, story, uh, casting, direction that it could still be like it turns out to be so it's such a mishmash of something that it's just like, eh, I enjoy it.
0: I think that's a good chance for us to uh, coin a new term. We'll 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 get back to you guys on that. We'll think of a new term for us to use for movies like that suck. But they suck so good that they suck. Well, guys, thank you for joining us today. We have had a great time tickling your earlobes with our idiotic rants. And we hope you'll join us again next time. But until then, this has been another episode of Vidiotic. And my name is Sean.
1: My name is Joe.
0: And we will see you next time.
1: Bye-bye.